From RTE News, this is States of Mind. I am your president of law and order. You won't be safe in Joe Biden's America. All groups should practice self-monitoring and remain peaceful. This administration has shown it will tear our democracy down. May history be able to say that the end of this chapter of American darkness began here tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, the best is yet to come. Your U.S. election 2020 podcast. With Brian O'Donovan in Washington. And Jackie Fox in Dublin. Today. And what I've learned is that negative personal attacks have no place in public life. Is adultery no longer a big deal? I, for one, believe that the Seventh Commandment, contained in the Ten Commandments, is still a big deal. In the streets of Oakland, marching and shouting for this thing called justice, in a struggle that continues today. Correct as best I can. I do want you to be honest. I'm not able to uh, be rushed this fast. It makes me nervous. In our last episode, we heard about the life and times of Mike Pence. Now it's time to delve into the life and times of his opponent, Kamala Harris. And full disclosure here, we had actually planned just to do one vice president episode, but our Mike Pence element ran way over. So we decided to split this into two. And I think you're going to get really two really good episodes. We've Mike Pence done in the previous uh, half hour. Now we're going to focus on Kamala Harris and both very, very interesting and very, very different life stories. Yes. So from the east of the United States to the Californian West Coast. In 1964, Kamala Harris was born in Oakland, California, the eldest of two children born to an Indian mother, Shamala Gopalan. She was a cancer researcher and Jamaican Donald Harris. Her parents met in the 60s in the most 60s way. Uh, They met at UC Berkeley and bonded over a shared passion for the civil rights movement. And many say that Kamala Harris had a pram-eyed view of the civil rights movement in the 60s. I like that, a pram-eyed view. Yeah, because that's because she was taken to a lot of these protests in the pram or in the stroller, as they call it here. My mother and father, uh, they came from opposite sides of the world to arrive in America. One from India and the other from Jamaica in search of a world-class education. But what brought them together was the civil rights movement of the 1960s. And that's how they met as students in the streets of Oakland, marching and shouting for this thing called justice in a struggle that continues today. And in her autobiography, she said that her mother understood very well that she was raising two black daughters. Her parents, unfortunately, went on to separate and she lived with her mother and sister in Berkeley. They went to Montreal and Canada for five years when Kamala was a teenager for her mother's work. Then she came back to San Francisco and she went to a historically black college to study law. Before we move on to her career, we had a little chat, Brian, didn't we, with Kamala's maternal uncle, Balak Chandran, who is in India, to get a sense of what she's like and where she comes from. Look, Shamla, Kamala's mother, Shamla, was my elder sister, okay? And so there were four siblings, um, three daughters and one son, okay? My father was a civil servant. He used to get transferred from place to place. Never actively involved in politics. Uh, my mother, and she used to be involved in the women's groups, not so much in politics, but their health and welfare, family planning and things like that. Tell us about Kamala as a little girl. What was she like, your niece, growing up? 
the times I used to see her was when I used to visit Shamla when she was in uh, California. Two young nieces playing around, uh, fighting with each other and trying to involve me in their quarrels and things like that. Okay. <laughs> and she's still like that at the Senate. She's a great battler, isn't she? A great debater and a great fighter. No, she's a very quick on her feet. That's no question about it. And uh, I was telling my daughter, uh, the, uh, the vice, presidential, vice presidential debate will probably walk over. What's your favorite story about her? What's your favorite memory that kind of sums up the person that she is? She bugged me when I used to visit. She always said, well, now you come here, what do you want? I said, look, I don't want anything. I just came to see Shamla. She said, no, no, you'll have to have something. You should have shirts. You should have this. You should have that. You should have, a, what do you call it in those days? Blackberry, right? Mm-hmm. She said, no, no, you should have a Blackberry. I said, what do you do with a Blackberry in India? <laughs> so they're always insistent that I should have something. I should take something. I should, if you want, ask anything like that. She's very attached to the family. They used to come and spend a lot of time with my parents. She used to go out with my father for a walk and my father used to tell later on that how she used to ask him a lot of questions about why is this, why is that. Thank you so much for joining us. It was great to hear about her childhood stories and... Not at all. Like I told you, it would be much better. I I expect it to be a great debate, but we'll talk about that after, okay? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Bye now. Sure. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. He's obviously a busy man. Love that ringtone. I love the way he said that Kamala was always trying to force blackberries and gifts yeah. on him when he came to the US. Maybe that was his old blackberry ringing. Do people have blackberries anymore? I think they're pretty much Oh, I just remember the days, click of the buttons. Oh, That's yeah. right. It goes through me. Uh, anyways, we will come back more to her Indian heritage soon. That is not the end of that. Moving back to her career, though, because after, after passing the bar in 1990, Kamala Harris moved quickly up the legal ladder to becoming an assistant district attorney, focusing on sex crimes, and then went on to be recruited to the San Francisco District Attorney's Office. In 2003, she successfully ran for district attorney in San Francisco against her former boss, and it became one of her many firsts. She was the first African-American and first woman elected to the District Attorney Office in San Francisco. Well, Kamala Harris is San Francisco's first woman district attorney and the first African-American woman to hold the office in California. Her new book, Smart on Crime, A Career Prosecutor's Plan to Make Us Safer, offers some new solutions to fighting crime in our community. So welcome, Thank Kamala you, Harris. Thank you. How do you connect education and crime fighting and smart crime fighting? Well, essentially, it all boils down to the public health model which tells us that the best way to deal with an epidemic is prevention. It's least costly and most effective. Um, if we, we lose that, then let's get into early intervention once the sniffles start or once we see signs. Mm-hmm. And um, if we are at the point, however, of dealing with the epidemic in the emergency room, it's much too late and it's much too costly. So using that as what has been proven to be an effective model and applying that to the crime epidemic, uh, I would suggest to you that an issue such as elementary school truancy. An elementary school child who is missing 30, 40, up to 80 days of a 180-day school year is a very early and clear sign of who invariably will be the high school dropout and then the victim of crime and the perpetrator of crime. And fun fact, during the same election, 
Gavin Newsom was elected mayor of San Francisco. He's now governor of California. And the two are very close friends and they've even gone on holiday together, would you believe? Yeah, and it's interesting when you look at her time as San Francisco district attorney. The conviction rate in San Francisco jumped from 52% to 67%. And she used this as a springboard to become California's attorney general. And there we saw conviction rates go up as well. And this has been a sort of a double-edged sword for Kamala Harris. She has this image as a tough cop, as a tough prosecutor who clamped down on crime, clamped down on law and order. And that suits her in many ways, and that suits many of her voters and her supporters. On the other side, some of the more liberal, progressive side of the Democratic Party used this to attack her during the Democratic primaries, saying she was too tough on crime, too tough on sentencing, and didn't take enough action when it came to injustices against African Americans and being mistreated by police. Now, in her time as an attorney general, she got to know one, Bo Biden, Joe Biden's son. He was the attorney general of Delaware while she was attorney general of California, and they became quite good friends. Also during that time, she married Doug Emhoff, a corporate lawyer in Los Angeles in 2014. He has two children from his previous marriage, and they call her Mamala. Oh, that's so lovely, Mamala. Mamala. That's yeah. really sweet. And she re- received a lot of attention around that time too when then-President Barack Obama said she was the best-looking Attorney General in the country, which sparked a lot of controversy and something which he had to apologise for. But she used her rising star and rising media attention for her next jump to the Senate. And once again, she was successful, having another first first Indian American senator and the second black female senator in 2017 that propelled her onto the national and international stage. And when she was a senator, she really shone very early on as a newbie senator for her tough questioning. She was forensic. She took her prosecutor skills and was a very tough questioner, a very tough interrogator and a very tough debater in the Senate. And we saw it. It came out at times. She was praised for sharp questioning of then Attorney General Jeff Sessions on the Russia investigation back in 2017. Did you have any communications with Russian officials uh, for any reason during the campaign that have not been disclosed uh, in public or to this committee? Uh, I don't recall it. Uh, But I have to tell you, uh, I cannot testified of what was uh, said as we were standing at the Republican convention before the podium where I spoke. My, my just, question is uh, only as don't it relates to your knowledge. I have a detailed memory of that. Okay, as it I'm relates to your knowledge, did you have any communication with any Russian businessmen or any Russian nationals? I don't believe I had any conversation with Russian businessmen or Russian nationals. Are you aware of Although any communication? A lot of people were at the convention. It's conceivable that somebody sir, came sir, up to me. Sir, I have just a few. Well, minutes. you let me qualify it. I, if, you, okay. if I don't qualify it, you'll accuse me of lying. So I need to be correct as best I can. I do want you to be honest. And I'm not able to uh, be rushed this fast. It makes me nervous. She was also praised for her tough questioning of Brett Kavanaugh during his Supreme Court hearings. Judge, have you ever discussed Special Counsel Mueller or his investigation with anyone? Well, it's uh, in the news every day. Have you discussed it with anyone? Uh, With other judges, I know. Uh, Have you discussed Mueller or his investigation with anyone at Kasowitz, Benson, and Torres, the law firm founded by Mark Kasowitz, President Trump's personal lawyer? Uh, Be sure about your answer, sir. uh, Well, 
I'm not remembering, but if you have something you want to. Are you certain you've not had a conversation with I, anyone at that law firm? Kasowitz, Benson. Kasowitz, Benson, and yeah. Torres, which is the law firm founded by Mark Kasowitz, yeah. who is President Trump's personal lawyer. Are you, have you had any conversation about Robert Mueller or his investigation with anyone at that firm? Yes or no? Well, is there a person you're talking about? I'm asking you a very direct question, yes or no. Who'd you talk to? I don't think I, I, I'm not remembering. And we saw that tough debater, that fighter come out again during the Democratic primaries when she clashed with Joe Biden. I do not believe you are a racist. And I agree with you when you commit yourself to the importance of finding common ground. But I also believe, and it's personal, and I was actually very, it was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. Look, everything I've done in my career, I ran because of civil rights. I continue to think we have to make fundamental changes in civil rights. And those civil rights, by the way, include not just only African-Americans, but the LGBT community. But they, Vice President Biden, do you agree today, do you agree today that you were wrong to oppose busing in America then? No, do you agree? I did not oppose busing in America. What I opposed is busing ordered by the Department of Education. That's what I opposed. Well, I there did was not a oppose. failure of, of states to, to integrate no, public schools in America. I was part of the second the, class to integrate Berkeley, the, California public schools almost two decades after Brown v. Board of Education. Because your city council made that decision. It was a so local decision. So that's where the federal government must step the, in. The that's why we have the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. That's why we need to pass the Equality Act. That's why we need to pass the ERA, because that's there right. are moments in history where states fail to preserve the civil rights of all people. And that really gave her a bounce, but that bounce, it didn't last long when she was running for president because cracks started to appear in her campaign because people struggled to understand what on earth she stood for. After that confusion over policy positions, which resulted in damaging news cycles, and then her campaign ran out of money, she dropped out of the race. It seems that she tried too hard to walk the fine line between progressive and the moderate wings of her party and ended up appealing to neither. Yeah, she styled herself as this kind of pragmatic problem solver. I can appeal to both sides. I'm the every woman. The problem with that was she was a little bit too much on the left, a little bit too much on the right, a little bit on the fence, and it didn't really sit. She flip-flopped on issues, and as a result of that, she alienated voters in this bid to appeal to everyone. She kind of ended up appealing to no one, and her primary campaign came to an end. She got another first again this year when Joe Biden chose her as his running mate, even though it took her until March to endorse Joe Biden. Now she became the first black woman and first Asian-American to be picked as VP running mate on a major party ticket. As her mother said to her, you may be the first, but make sure you're not the last. Yeah, and I remember when her name was announced, no huge surprise. She was the front runner all summer. We had expected that it would be her. 
Her name was announced around four or five o'clock, I think, in the evening. And the Trump campaign came out with this attack ad, which they had ready, which was fair enough. We all knew it was going to be her. But it was a pretty weak attack ad. It kind of accused her of being a phony and a flip-flopper, and it didn't really get at her. And I think it highlighted something very important when it comes to Kamala Harris. The Trump campaign don't really know how to attack her. What is she? Is she on the left? Is she on the right? We can go after her for being too tough a cop, but hang on, that's Donald Trump's message. He's the president of law and order. So I think from that perspective, it made her a good choice from Joe Biden's point of view, because the Trump campaign really didn't know what to do with her or how to attack her. And she's quite the opposite of Mike Pence, you know, concentrating on women and LGBT issues. Yep, she supported highly contentious taxpayer-funded abortions during the Democratic primary. She's been very liberal on the issue of gay marriage and fought for it in California. She even married same-sex couple Chris Perry and Sandy Steer, the couple who overturned the California gay marriage ban. And do you, Sandy, take Chris to be your lawfully wedded wife, to love and cherish from this day forward? I do. By the state of California, I now declare you spouses for life. And like Mike Pence, Kamala Harris has a heritage she is incredibly proud of, and that's her Indian connections. We spoke to her uncle earlier about that connection to the country and how it really runs deep. Yes, it does. Lots of links to her Indian heritage. Even her name, Kamala, is a nod to those Indian roots. Kamala meaning lotus and is another name for the Hindu goddess Lakshmi. And interestingly, Kamala, that pronunciation. I must confess, Jackie, I used to mispronounce it. I oh, used to we call all Kamala, got it wrong. Kamala, yeah. So in one of her earlier runs for office, she actually released quite a nice YouTube video about how to pronounce her name. It's not Kamala. It's not Kamala. It's not Kamala. It's Kamala. Kamala Harris. So it's Kamala. You always think of it like a comma in a sentence or an O sound Kamala. But we do see Donald Trump constantly mispronouncing it. He calls her Kamala, Kamala. Many say that he's doing it on purpose just to get under her skin. And she often argues that her identity, you know, American with Indian roots, with Jamaican roots, it makes her uniquely suited to fight for people who have been traditionally ignored. Absolutely. And we're going to hear now how she is perceived in India. What is the belief on the ground there? Do they think an Indian-American in the White House as a vice president will benefit Indian-American relations? And how is she seen on the ground? We're joined now on the line by Suhasini Haydar, who is the national editor and diplomatic affairs editor of The Hindu in India. Suhasini, I know when Leo Varadkar, our former Taoiseach, which is the prime minister in Ireland, was elected, he has Indian roots. And it was a big story in India, and it was lovely to see his family were very proud. It got covered by the Indian media. Is there a big interest in Kamala Harris? Is there excitement in India? Is she a big story at the prospect of her possibly becoming the next vice president of the United States? Um, Well, let's put it this way, uh, Brian. I I definitely think there is a lot of interest in India in Kamala Harris um, because she is of Indian origin. Her mother uh, uh, was not just of Indian origin. Her mother was born, brought up in India before she went abroad for higher studies. Um, She's from Tamil Nadu, a state that has uh, a huge diaspora as well, uh, and a huge interest, obviously, in her success. So 
we did hear from particularly her state in India, in the southern state of Tamil Nadu, um, you know, even elected officials welcoming the fact that she's there. But I think there's been a huge silence from the officialdom uh, in New Delhi, if you like, from the federal government over the last uh, few weeks over the Kamala Harris nomination. Uh, the Ministry of External Affairs point blank said we do not uh, uh, we do we don't uh, comment on the internal processes of another country. Saying when they were asked about Kamala Harris's nomination, uh, of course that's in stark contrast to Jamaica, where Kamala, Kamala Harris's father comes from, where the Jamaican Foreign Minister took to Twitter to welcome the fact that someone of Jamaican origin was making it to this big position. I mean, Kamala Harris is a first for many reasons. Um, in the U.S. itself, and uh, uh, nobody here believes that she will be anything but, you know, uh, 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 uphold American interests if she does come to power. Uh, but I think it's interesting for people to see a woman of Indian origin come to the top. But yes, there has been a bit of silence at the official levels. Is there any sense that the administration is quite pro-Trump, maybe. I do recall him getting a very, very warm welcome in India. Namaste, Trump. It was this huge party that was thrown for him earlier this year. What's the attitude, do you think, in official circles of Donald Trump? And what's the attitude of the uh, Indian people in general? Well, look, this is an age of alpha men. So the fact that India has uh, Narendra Modi as its prime minister, the U.S. as President Trump, uh, perhaps gives Mr. Trump a huge, uh, uh, a, you know, a huge persona uh, when it comes to uh, global leaders uh, in India in particular. Remember that in the last year, it isn't just the welcome Mr. Trump received in India, but also Mr. Modi's visit to Houston last year, where he and Mr. Trump held a public rally together, which essentially was a rally of Indian, uh, of American citizens of Indian origin. Um, and they, they had about 50,000 people in the audience where Prime Minister Modi uh, seemed to stop just short of an endorsement for Mr. Trump when he remembered the slogan that said, next time uh, Mr. Trump will be in, in power, Ab ki bar, uh, uh, Trump Sarkar is what he said. Uh, a few months later, we had President Trump come to India, stand again at a public rally uh, in Gujarat and, um, I, you know, and, and speak to hundreds of thousands of Indians again. Um, and Mr. Trump has, uh, in many of his speeches, kind of conflated the two. He's all, always said Indians should be pro-Trump, uh, when actually what he means is uh, American citizens of Indian origin should be pro-Trump. Um, but uh, while they have had a very good personal bond, uh, Mr. Trump has also been a little erratic when it comes to India-U.S. relations on the trade front, particularly the very harsh measures taken by the U.S. while Mr. Trump was there. Uh, so it's hard to say whether, um, uh, you know, uh, the, in terms of policies, India is pro uh, 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 the Trump administration or against it. Eventually, whoever comes to power in the U.S. is something the Indian administration will deal with. But there has been a huge chemistry between the two leaders. Uh, they have spoken often on the phone. There's the issue of China, where Mr. Trump has been very forthright, and India is, uh, uh, is dealing with China's aggressions. Um, there's also another issue, which is that Mr. Trump has more or less stayed away from real criticism of India when it comes to uh, uh, India's domestic policies, uh, particularly over the last year when it has come to uh, the issues in Jammu and Kashmir, whether it's come to the Citizenship Amendment Act, which many international agencies have called discriminatory, uh, Mr. Trump has not really joined in very, very strong criticism or actually personally in any criticism 
of that kind, whereas uh, Kamala Harris and the Democratic Party have, by contrast, actually been pretty tough on the, uh, the Modi administration, even going to Congress with a bill which was critical of its actions. Uh, Ms. Harris uh, took to Twitter when there were riots in Delhi during Mr. Trump's visit, um, criticizing the government uh, over these riots as well. Uh, uh, so there is a sense that Mr. Trump has actually been better when it comes to these issues for the Indian government uh, than perhaps a prospective Democrat government will be. But, you know, these are things that uh, I think any government will take into its stride and, and deal with the elections as they come. With the silence of those at the top about her, Kamala Harris's position must be very empowering, though, for women in India. Well, I think women anywhere are looking at, uh, you know, uh, the possibility that a woman vice president uh, will uh, could come to power in, in the U.S. and she is in a good position to perhaps even the top office over there if they were to win on this ticket in November. Um, as far as Indian women are concerned, I think Kamala Harris's mother actually has uh, raised a lot of interest for people because here was this woman who went from India, um, you know, decades ago, studied in the U.S., uh, was, uh, uh, was actually an activist for the civil rights movement in the U.S., became a single mom, brought up these two daughters. Um, uh, so, yes, in a, in a sense, I think Indian women do look at Kamala Harris and say, someone who looks like us is making it to this, this uh, very high position. Um, but, uh, you know, as, you, uh, as, you, uh, as I said earlier, there is a, a silence in official circles about it, which is rare, as you pointed out, uh, when Leo Varadkar came to power or um, in the times that we've seen uh, uh, other in Indian diasporic members come to power in places like Portugal, in places like Fiji, Mauritius, around the world, uh, there's always been a real uh, recognition for them, if you like. Leo Varadkar has been uh, given a great welcome in India, even when he was here on a private visit, I think, earlier this year, before the elections. Um, uh, but we're not seeing that when it comes to Kamala Harris just yet. Great stuff. Suhasini Haydar, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. So, Jackie Fox, a big, big, important political U.S. event taking place. Yes, the vice presidential debates are happening. No, this no, no, no. Oh. This is far. This is far bigger. Oh. The night before, we are going to have our second virtual Irish Americans for Biden rally, which means hopefully we'll get to hear a little bit more of this. Come this fall, one and all, we are voting in November. We have a voice. Make a choice for our country and our children. That's going to be hard to beat. It's also going to be hard to get out of our ears. <laughs> I present you with this earworm for the next week. I told Have you. Have a good one, Jackie. You too. Bye. <laughs>